take advantage of the Spectator US's special election offer. Go to spectator.us slash election offer and subscribe to get three months free access to the Spectator US website and our new app available on the Apple and Google Play stores. Make sure you're getting the very best coverage and commentary in the run-up to November 3rd. Find out more at spectator.us slash election offer. I'm joined today by Shelby Tulkett, who is a media reporter at the Daily Caller. And Shelby has been in Kenosha, Wisconsin, reporting on the riots. And Shelby, I think I'm right in saying you've been through quite a week. Can you tell us what happened to you when you were there? We arrived in Kenosha Monday evening and um, there was a pretty big crowd. They were very angry. It sort of devolved into all of these members of the crowd spreading themselves out throughout downtown Kenosha and looting local businesses and, in fact, burning several local businesses literally to the ground. We've been to a lot of protests and rioting across the country, and and this was akin, I would say, to Minneapolis, which we didn't go to. But as you've seen, you know, buildings engulfed in flames, people running all over, just breaking things, looting. And for, you know, Wisconsin, it was crazy because all of these places pretty much were local businesses. You say you haven't seen it before. Have you seen arson before in the riots you've covered? We've seen arson, but not like this. This was just, I mean, the entire building was up in flames. And the next day it was literally burned to the ground. So this was just like a different level, I would say. And was it very much a Black Lives Matter protest or was it the usual mix of Black Lives Matter protesters, Antifa um, and just people out to cause trouble? I would say it was less Antifa-looking members this time, whether that's because it was this sort of city outside of any major city. It's, you know, 45 minutes from Minneapolis, or from, uh, sorry, um, from Milwaukee and a little over an hour to Chicago. So, you know, if you're going to protest here, you have to drive. Um, one, one thing I noticed was that... Um... Uh, a lot of the people on social media were talking as though Jacob Blake, the victim of the police shooting over the weekend, if, as if he were dead. And in fact, he, he he wasn't dead, was he? No, no, he is. I believe he's paralyzed, but he is alive. His family's done a few press conferences in Kenosha since the incident happened. And so he is he is not dead. And and his mother has, has appealed for calm. But of course, it didn't things haven't calmed at all. And there was this terrible incident involving a 17-year-old white boy mercenary that you were a witness to. I wonder if you could, you wrote a very good piece about it for the Daily Caller. I wonder if you could just sort of go through the story of what you saw. Yeah, that was Tuesday night, I believe. And I was on the phone with my coworker, Richie, trying to meet up with him. He hung up on me fairly quickly and I saw this gas station sort of across the street and, and up a little bit. And there was a bunch of people there. So I started jogging towards there. And uh, as I was jogging, you know, it became more clear that this was a tense situation. And so that's where I wanted to be because that's, you know, 
part of what we report on. And then all of a sudden, gunshots rang out. And I stopped. I, I filmed part of the gunshots. And then I just started sort of sprinting to where the gunshots were because I knew that was where Richie was. And I was worried that he was, he had just been shot. Um, and as I'm running, this kid, really a kid, sprints past me with, with his, it looks like an AR-15 sort type rifle, sprints past me. Um, and then there's this sort of crowd, people following him, screaming that he's the shooter. Why'd you shoot him? Uh, and this kid looks, I mean, terrified. He's sort of sprinting and then sometimes turning around back towards me and the people in the crowd who are chasing after him, waving his gun around to, you know, see who's following him. And then he keeps running. And so I then run in the opposite direction back towards where he just fired shots. And I get there and there's a man laying on the ground and he doesn't have a shirt on. He has a shirt over his head and there's a bullet wound in his head. And the red shirt has this hole in it where I assume that, you know, the bullet ripped straight through. And there's a, another shirtless man next to him yelling, trying to help pick this guy up. And I realize it's Richie, uh, who had been there the whole time and, you know, was a little bit closer than I was. And so Richie and three other people pick this guy up and carry him across the street. And the guy's limp. Like at that point, I don't even know if he was alive or if he was, you know, already dead. But they pick him up, they carry him across the street, and the hospital is directly across the street. Like, you literally just have to cross the street, and we're at the hospital. So they managed to sort of shove this guy and Richie into a car, and the car speeds off down the road, like down the driveway to the ER. And then I am sort of left in the middle of the street, so I start wandering back towards the first shooting and then more gunshots ring out and then more gunshots ring out. And it's like, there's just gunfire everywhere. So I sprint and I hide behind a car. And that's when I realized uh, a town hall reporter, Julio Rosas had actually, I later realized he had seen the second shooting, which happened when the shooter fell. He tripped and fell as he was running away from the crowd and then a man with um, a skateboard smashed it over his head. That man ended up dying. And then another guy pulled his gun, it, it seems, as we've learned if you've read the New York Times article, and Rittenhouse fired more times. So the one of the shots... Rittenhouse, just to be clear, Carl Rittenhouse is the 17-year-old who, who ran past you yes. before, the, the young white kid. Um, so Rittenhouse fires several times and then gets up and walks towards police, but he's not apprehended. But the the police only just arrive at this point. This is like six or seven minutes have passed, if I had to guess, from the first shooting. So it took them a while to arrive. And it turns out your so your colleague Richie, he had actually interviewed Carl Rittenhouse just before the incident. Is that is that right? Yes. Rittenhouse it seems was part of this group of armed individuals um, I had interviewed a few of them the night before. I actually have video footage of Rittenhouse earlier in the night. Towards the end of the video, I have it on, on my Twitter. You can see him uh, sort of jogging past the screen and telling protesters, if anyone needs medical help, come over here. He said he was an EMT. So the group was 
didn't seem to be anti-protester. Um, they just seemed to be wanting to protect the local businesses. What do you make of that? I mean, do you think he's a sort of, uh, there's been a lot of talk about him in the media. What What do you see him as? What's your opinion of him? I honestly think he is a dumb 17-year-old. Of course, he should have never brought, you know, an AR-15 style weapon or any weapon for that matter over the border. He was, you know, he lives in Illinois. That's, I believe, is a charge in and of itself carrying a, a weapon across borders and he's only 17. So I, I mean, I think he was a dumb kid who felt like for some reason he had to come and protect these local businesses in way over his head. They're there, I don't believe that there was any indication his social media accounts had been deleted, but I believe one organization had looked into it beforehand and didn't see that he had any ties to any extremist groups. I, you know, I think he was really into cops and police officers, really into guns, as a lot of young Midwesterners are. Um, you know, it's very common out there. And I think he was just, you know, a dumb kid. He was sort of um, fantasizing, judging from the interview with, with your colleague Richie, he seemed to be sort of fantasizing about being a kind of cop slash medic on the scene, right? He was role playing almost, but he just happened to have a real gun. Yes, absolutely. And this sort of situation proves that armed vigilantes out in the streets is not going to work, right? They don't have the proper training. I mean, this kid was 17 year old, years old with this giant weapon. Um, in a very tense situation, there's it's just stupid. There was no reason for him to have this weapon and be out in this situation. And uh, how are you and uh, Richie? It's been a few days now. How are you and Richie holding? Are you traumatized? Are you, or have you had to carry on uh, reporting? Yeah, we've been uh, pretty busy, so we haven't really stopped. I don't think and thought about much. Um, we actually flew back to D.C. last night and went straight to the protest there for Trump's speech. Um, and we'll do March on Washington today. The protest last night in D.C. did look quite hectic, not on the same sort of scale of violence as Kenosha, perhaps. But is, is that a fair assessment? Yes, that's a fair assessment. There were some fights that broke out between the protesters and the police officers. They heckled a lot of the uh, people leaving Trump's speech. There were some issues there, but I would say overall, far less violence and riot-type activity as uh, Kenosha. And there's been a lot of speculation uh, on both sides of the Atlantic, I think, that the protests now have lost a lot of the popular support that they had in the days after the George Floyd killing, and that, in fact, they are now harming the Democrats who seem to be have firmly aligned themselves with the Black Lives Matter protests, and, in fact, they may be helping President Trump to be re-elected. What's your impression? The numbers are the numbers, but from what I've seen on the ground and who I've talked to, these residents of these cities, the majority of people don't seem to agree with rioting. Okay, the protesting, the peaceful protests, when they're doing things that are, you know, within the scope of what's defined as a protest, that's okay. People don't seem to mind that. But it's when these situations turn to nightly chaos and there's 
literal fires being burned. There's businesses being ruined. People don't like that. And that's happening far too often in all of these, almost all of these situations. We've seen it in all the major cities, you know, um, and I think people are fed up with it. It's very peculiar, isn't it? I mean, who, who would have thought that people don't like having their neighborhoods burned down? Yeah, of course. I mean, in Kenosha, it was actually pretty amazing to see that the morning after all of these businesses were burned to the ground, a ton of the residents were out there all day cleaning up the mess. They brought out their brooms, they brought out their brushes, and they were scrubbing down walls to get rid of uh, spray paint. They were cleaning up glass. People didn't even know each other. They would walk around and just say, you know, hey, what do you need? Can I help? All day we went all over downtown Kenosha and there were just people in the streets cleaning up this mess. And of course, Wisconsin is a is a crucial swing state in this election. So, you know, it, it may well play a factor there. For sure. And that's um, people are already saying that in Wisconsin in particular, there's, you know, votes being changed due to this situation in Kenosha. Well, Shelby, thank you very much for joining us today and um, stay safe. Go too near any trouble in future. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite. 